Hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let my ears, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy, Lord. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for you, Lord. My whole being waits. And in your word I put my hope. I wait for you, Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and in him is full redemption. He will redeem Israel from all their sins. Thank you, Renee. This is the season where you get to see how long Josh preaches week to week because the candles get to be different heights. So I can always tell whenever I'm taking too long up here and we're worried and that people are distracted by, are the candles going to burn the tablecloth? So I don't need the clock during Advent for that reason alone. It's a, it's a good time for us. Um, but I, I realize that, that my love for Advent is not something that everybody always appreciates. It's a, an unusual thing for a lot of churches that are, I think, in a, this new age to, to slow down and celebrate. Those of us who don't follow a liturgical calendar, which in the vineyard most of us don't, but some do, um, Advent is, is a kind of an outlier. It's one of these seasons that, that is different. You know, Easter, you got like Palm Sunday and Easter, it's like two weeks. You kind of know what's coming with that. But this is a different time for us. Um, the very first year that I was a pastor, I, I poured myself into Advent, and it just changed my perspective on, on all this stuff. And ever since then, this has been a time for me to intentionally slow down um, and look at what we do and why we do it. So I, I want you to hear clearly, Advent is not Christmas. I, I know it feels that, I mean, we got the decorations up and, and everything like that. It's not Christmas, but it is anticipation of the coming of the Christ, it's looking back to when he was born as a child. It's looking ahead to when he will come again. Advent is this idea that, that it's not Christmas light. It's not Christmas Eve, Eve. Eve, Eve, Eve. You could keep going. But it's more like a pregnancy. It's more like an engagement season. It's a season of active preparation, knowing what's to come. It's a season of waiting, longing, knowing and understanding that something's coming, something's on the horizon, but it's not here yet. And because it will come, I can do things here and now to prepare myself, to be ready for that day whenever it comes. The, the words are weird though, right? Advent. Advent is actually Latin, so congratulations, you now know some Latin. It's Latin for the word coming. Very simple, there's really not much more to it. It's that the coming of a person, particularly somebody of high importance. The advent of, of somebody is like whenever the, the king would come. We're talking about the advent of this new king. He's now on the throne. It's the translation of the word that we have, the, the parousia. That's the Greek. That's the presence or the arrival. But we use that, that wording, the Greek, particularly to talk about the second coming of Christ. This idea in scripture, whenever you read about him coming again, that's advent. 
that's what we're longing for. That's what we're waiting for. That, that's why we, we've got all those parables about the virgins and their wicks and the oils and all this stuff here as we're actively prepared and waiting for him to come. So we really do a disservice whenever Advent is all about the coming of the Christ child. It is that. But that's us looking backwards. It's also situating us to look forward to understand that, that even now the church for 2,000 years we're in a season of longing of waiting, of realizing that we have now just in part, but then we will have fully. That now we have a whisper of something that will become crystal clear whenever he's finally here, whenever his words are really revealed, when we can actually understand and partake in all that he is. He came once, and he will come again. So really the church is always in an ongoing season of Advent, but I fear that we as a church forget that. We have a season carved out where we sing the songs. We have a season that's carved out that makes us often look backwards. But we really need to be an Easter people all year round. We need to be an Advent people all year round. Because that's the fullness of the kingdom. That's what we're longing for. So in the vineyard, we use the phrases. You probably heard them. If not, I apologize. The now and the not yet. The kingdom come and coming. Please tell me you've heard those phrases before. Okay. All right. So we have in part, but not fully. We still have a lot to hope for. So... I'm always hesitant on these seasons because if you know our church, you know what the week one is. Week one is hope. It's predictable. We even have the child of hope, which I think is maybe back in the nursery, unfortunately. But hope came with us this morning. We have active hope with us. But, you know, whenever you think you know what the topic's going to be, sometimes we fill in these blanks already. Oh, week one, Josh is going to talk about hope. I know what hope is. I like hope. Moving. There we go. We got hope. Everybody meet hope. There we go. <laughs> Hope came just for, for our, our, our week one here. But, but maybe it's just me, because if I know what the message is, right, I'm probably not listening as attentively as I might. I feel like, oh, I already know that. It's something that sounds kind of basic, right? Hope, that means you want something. It's this idea of like, I already know what it is. How much further can we go down this road? And I think my fear is that we start to tune out because I know myself. And if I feel like, oh, I know what that is. You ever do these trainings at work where it's like they start off very, very basic and you're like, next, next, skip, skip, skip. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute. I actually don't know. How did we get here? Because we skipped over that. We stopped listening. And I fear that we do that with these things that we consider so elemental or so basic that we fear that like, oh, that doesn't apply to me right here and right now. N.T. Wright has this illustration that I've, I've mentioned year to year which I think is so helpful to understand seasons like this, he talks about a bicycle wheel. And at the first you know, glimpse, the bicycle wheel is very monotonous. It's very boring. I know what's going to happen. It's going to turn. And it's going to be a turn, and then a turn, and then a turn, and then a turn. But what he says that I appreciate is that every time that wheel goes around, it's in a different place. The scenery has changed. The setting for that bicycle wheel is different. It could be as different as summer to winter. It could be as different as the countryside to a forest, to a city. But the idea is that wheel is going someplace. And where we're at now is very different than where we were in 2022. Where we're going now is different than where we had to go then. So the question isn't so much what is hope generically. The question is Advent. The question is hope. What does that say to me here now today? When the Lord is speaking to my heart and calling for me to be a, a person of hope, what does that mean for Josh in 2023 after your beloved Georgia Bulldogs have lost? 
I'm sorry to bear the news if you didn't know. How can you have hope in a world this dark where we're looking at a college football playoff without the Georgia Bulldogs? I, I got to tell you, it's a, it's a real troubling question. How do you do this? <laughs> oh, Tabby, I love you. But at Advent in 2023, you know, where we're talking about deconstruction of faith post-COVID, Israel at war, everything getting more expensive. What does hope mean? What does it mean? What does it look like for the church to be a place of hope for a world that needs it? I'll argue, as I could probably argue every year, now more than ever. How are we representing that? Are we able to articulate it for those things that are on people's minds now? Are we actually still to hope? Or are we saying what we were 50 years ago, we want to be that same way again? Hope matters to us here and today. So week one of Advent is hope. I got this, this, this tweet, which I always find so funny. That, like Sometimes I read these things and they stay with me for years. This is one of those tweets. So this person tweets, no offense, but what's like the point? Are we just supposed to work and buy coffee and listen to podcasts until we die? I'm bored. <laughs> and amen. I'm meant for more than this, right? Like I, I'm, I'm more than a consumer of goods. I'm more than a producer of whatever work I'm, I'm employed with, right? I, I don't want to just listen to things and, and partake in the, like these fringes of life. Why am I doing this stuff whatsoever? And I, I feel that this is something that we have to be attentive to is that we are all made for more than that. We're made more for participation in, in, the, in the rat race. We are made for something of eternal significance and our souls know it. And when we're sitting behind a desk, whenever we're studying, whatever it is, that's preparation because we know we're meant for more than that. I have never met a person who feels like, nah, that's really all I want to do. That's a well-lived life for me is to do my 40 hours a week, go home and sleep and wake up and repeat. <laughs> I have never met a person who feels like that is all I want to do and that's all I want to experience. Even whenever it's to see my kids go off and do well, to bless the next generation, even when it's to experience the adventure of exploring this world and this creation through travel, even whenever it's to explore the feelings of love that I get in connection with another human being, all of those things are evidence that you're meant for more than this. But even again, not those things in themselves, but our souls cry out saying, I know that there's more. <laughs> Pardon, I'm, I'm on the tail end of a, of a cough. Too many people live their life unexamined and accidentally. And the church serves no one if we don't examine and understand what we're about. I, I don't want to exalt ambition, though. And I think that this is where the worldly understanding of hope and the church's understanding of hope have to really come into conflict with each other. Because I don't want us to think that it's about that hustle culture, you know, get stuff done, make things moving. Like our hope is not to accomplish more things because that's good. So therefore, let's get more butts and seats. You know, let's try to make sure that we do all these big, bold, ambitious things because we think that that's the, the fulfillment and that's the reality of the kingdom come. It's not really that at all. I think that's a trap of capitalism that makes us think that we have to produce and we confuse that with our divine purpose. But hope is what leads us forward. I need you to hear that. Hope is what leads us forward. Forward is, of course, a relative term. As I'm facing you now, you are forward of me. That means if I'm going to go forward, I, I, I come this way. But, but if I turn just this way, now, now that Christmas tree is forward for me. 
right? Forward is relative and it matters where we go. The object of our hope greatly matters. What is my hope? What am I going towards? What direction is my hope leading me? And is it a good direction? Is it where I should be going? But the point is, if I'm hoping, I can't stay where I am. Hope, by its very definition, has to draw me forward. I have to do something now. I have to realize something because of this hope. Because my heart is on fire. Because I'm, I, I feel the need to do something because of what is happening around me. Therefore, I'm drawn out. Therefore, we must do something. The, the words are a fire in my soul. And if I don't speak them, the rocks are going to cry out. We have to go somewhere because the reality of the hope that's in my heart. So hope, you need to know, is for us now. Hope is not deferred. Hope is not something we put on the back shelf and we think, well, those are long-term dreams. Those are ambitions maybe for one day after I get past this little sin problem that I'm dealing with down here now. Hope, hope is for those, those big ticket items. Hope is maybe something that, it, it uh, relates to maybe 5% of my life, but, but the rest of this, it's really just, I just got to get this stuff done. That is a way, as the scripture tells us, to defer hope makes our hearts sick. Because then we're not living lives of hope. Hope is for you now. Hope is meant to be that fuel that we have day in and day out that helps us articulate why. Why? Why do we do any of the things that we do? Why do we discipline our kids? Why do we teach them the truth? Why do I have a nine to five job? Why do we do any of the stuff that we do? Why do we make meals? Why do we add salt and pepper and seasoning to our meals? What is the hope of doing that? There's rationale for that. So hope helps us understand why. If hope has no future, though, we don't progress. Hope is for me now and with a realization of where I'm going to in the future. So it's understanding how I connect from where I am to where I'm going. And in the kingdom of God, this is a Godward hope that is pulling us towards God, towards his ways, towards his ambitions, towards his ends, or else we stay stagnant. <laughs> the reading that we had was not a throwaway. I think sometimes when we do Advent, you think that the candle's lit. We've read a nice little cursory thing. It's like a ritual. Read, done, check, moving on. Psalm 130 is such a beautiful expression and understanding of what the kingdom of God is about as we talk about hope. Um, before I, I jump into that, you can leave it up there, though. That's fine. Um, actually, no, let, let's call up the quote from last week. I used this one last time, and, and I, I think that it, it really helps us phrase the 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 Buchner one with all the colors and I think that this is something that it's important for us to remember again again uh, I think Ethan said this well but we're not done with loving like Jesus we I, I don't know that we'll ever be theologically but but I mean as a church thematically we're not this is meant to be a continuation of that same idea how do we love like Jesus and how does hope come into play with that this is what I read for us last week the love for equals is a human thing, of friend for friend, brother for brother. It's to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles at that love. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, the love for the poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed when we fail, to rejoice without envy with those who rejoice, the love of the poor for the rich, 
of the black man for the white man, the world is always bewildered by the saints. And then there's the love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The torturer's love for the torturer. This is God's love, and it conquers the world. That's from The Magnificent Defeat by Frederick Buechner. But this is God's love, and it conquers the world. This, I want us to understand, is our hope. The triumph of the kingdom of God. The triumph of God's ways, of God's love over the worldly ways. The triumph of, of forgiveness over sin. The triumph over blessing, over cursing. That's what we need to see. It, it's a conquering. And I feel like whenever we're hoping for lesser things than that, we're forgetting why any of this stuff really matters. A love that conquers the world is a hope. What, what does that mean? It means that we know what ultimately wins. My, my kids, I, I, I'm sorry to tell you, have dealt with more than their fair share of mean kids. That's probably not a surprise to anybody here. Probably all of us have dealt with more than our fair share of mean kids. And I'm pretty sure that's the case for us and generations before and our kids. It seems to be the nature of this fallen world, right? Kids who spread rumors, say mean things, whatever. But I tell them this. The truth wins out in the long run. It does. I, I found that to be true. Like, eventually the truth comes out. And, and everything will be revealed. Like, you will tell when a person is malicious. That gets revealed over time. That person can't find friends. They end up becoming bitter, cynical, lonely. These things reveal themselves over time. The fruit reveals the tree that was growing it. If we build our kingdom out of greed and, and, and cutthroat behavior, right? That's the fruit that we get at the end of the day. It might be 5, 10, 15, 20 years, but this is the reality of the world. We see these things bearing out. It's frustrating, I know kids, to have a gospel like that. It's frustrating whenever you're four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you're being told to turn the other cheek whenever somebody's coming at you. But that's our gospel. That's our hope, is that this will conquer the world. Like, this will win out. Do we really believe that this will win out? Do we have the hope that God's ways ultimately win, that his ways ultimately conquer the world, or are we just playing games with this in theoretical senses? Because smacking somebody back in the face is immediate. <laughs> Hope, by definition, takes time. Turning the other cheek takes a while to do its work. So again, remember from last week, Christ fills in the gaps with mercy. And now to turn to the psalm again. It starts out with a cry of desperation for mercy. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I'm in the depths, Lord. I can't find my way out. I can't get to where you are from where I am. There's a gap, and I need you to fill it in with your mercy. Can you help me get from where I am to where you are? I don't think any of us really get really good and truly lost these days. We have GPS. We have our phones. Our, our biggest fear is that they run out of juice and we won't be able to find our way because I don't remember the streets as well as we used to. Leo used to say that GPS makes us dumb. 
may, may be true. I remember one of my favorite things to do was always to go to a new city, whether I was traveling when I was, you know, younger before phones. I'm from the before time, you know, and you would go to a new city and I would get lost on purpose and explore. Like, what do we have here? You know, it's going to take hours, but, but I love this. It was exploring. It was, you know, it's not that risky, you know, you know, you're finding your way around, but, but I love doing this. It was a way of figuring out the, the landscape and where I'm at. There was one time whenever I was um, camping with my college roommates and uh, we traveled down this riverside and it was, you know, just a good adventure to go out there and figure out our, 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 our landscape, what's around us and everything like that. And we got to the point where, you know, we couldn't see the camp. We kept going kept going kept going until it started to turn dark you know but not yet dark we figured it's probably about the right time for us to get back but we said you know it's kind of boring we've already seen this side of the river let's switch sides and take the other side back so we we got on the other side of the river found a place where we could cross and started coming back and we walked back up towards our camp hour after hour after hour and we're like you know we were we were our camp was right off the side of the river so i was like we should have seen it by now right like you know like what happened did we miss it like we were completely and utterly lost and we realized as we were huddled up in the the cold of night that the river had forked <laughs> and uh we came up the other fork and went quite a good distance down the wrong fork of the river and it was pitch black the blackness that you know you, you don't get around the cities or suburbia right and and in this pitch black, you know, we couldn't find our ways over these rocks. There was a cliff. I remember we and some guy was like, "Why are we still going?" I'm like, "What else are we gonna do?" So we're wondering in the dark. It was cold. I, I don't want to make it sound worse. We actually grabbed a little bit of like a, a granola stuff that we had. So we had a little bit of food, and I had a box, uh, a, a one pack of waterproof matches. That was it. And actually, the guys I was with were not really believers, and we we were down to one match. They're like, "Josh, you're you're the man of faith." You try to light the fire. We actually got a fire out of that one. But anyway, that's a whole other point. That doesn't matter. That was all we had for the night. And it was scary. There were animal sounds. We had no shelter. We were cold. We had no blankets. We were stiff. There were no pillows. We were confused and lost and just utterly by ourselves. And this psalm speaks to kind of that idea i think again a, a, a feeling that is probably more visceral than what many of us know i want you to try to find yourself in that headspace of truly being lost maybe it's like you're sinking in the ocean maybe you're in a pit or like a well but all you can do is throw your voice out there and we did that when we were lost in the woods hello <laughs> anyone can you hear us no response that's where the psalm is it's so dark the voice is all you can throw out and then it turns from this very physical very visceral understanding to something very spiritual my sins have kept me from you and that lasts just a verse and i love that the even the very idea of god being one who keeps a record of wrongs a record of sins is a hypothetical if you kept a record of wrongs like can you even imagine such a world like, like, that's the hypothetical. Imagine that. Imagine a God that petty that he's looking and waiting for you to trip up so he could keep this record to remind you in these times that this is why you're so far away from me. Imagine that. It's a, it's a nonsensical hypothetical as the psalmist is saying. If you did that, we would all be lost. 
no one could stand. And it brings us to the very core of this. What do we hope for because of the love of Jesus? Because we know Christ's love, because his kingdom is advancing, because his people are loving like Jesus. <laughs> because we know the character of God, because we know of his love for us, we can hope. Because we know that his benefit is for us. We know that his will is for us. Not once in scripture do we see someone pointing out someone's flaws, hoping for their, their destruction, and Jesus is like, yeah, let's get them. Like, oh my goodness, I never thought of that. You know, like this is from Luke 9. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village. You remember them from last week. The, Samaritan, the good Samaritan was the one we talked about to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. He teaches us, bless those who curse you. She's a sinner. Oh, you know what? You're right. I didn't think about that. She's a sinner. So go ahead and stone her. No. Jesus says, so are you. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So knowing God's love, crying for mercy, as we said last week, is how he fills in those gaps. Where do we go? Do we meet him halfway? If I'm going towards this, do I then walk halfway to this and expect God to come out and, and meet me? What do I do if I'm in this position of needing mercy and knowing the direction that I'm going? What do I do? What do we see in this psalm? Do we give it the good old college try? Like, I'm going to be the holiest that I possibly can be. I know it's by grace, but, you know, I got to still be really good. I have to be a really good rule follower, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet him halfway. Or, you know, uh, whatever I have to do to figure out how I can be the most spiritual I can be while I'm, I'm calling on God's mercy so that his mercy doesn't have to do quite as much as, I, as maybe it would if I, I just stayed here. But here's the thing. What got us lost in the first place? Going our own way. Trying by our own devices. Moving in any direction doesn't necessarily help because we have to go somewhere our call, our purpose, our hope, it's not generic. Make the world a better place is very generic. And so ultimately may be unhelpful. I work in a IT security. Sometimes I've had goals given to me like we need to secure our infrastructure. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the job title alone made that very clear. Like that's so vague. It's ultimately completely unhelpful, right? And so whenever we think of these, these broad things like love the world even, yeah, okay, what does that mean? How is that personal? What does that mean today with the situations and the people that I encounter? Because if it doesn't mean something today, I'm probably not going to find a reason for tomorrow. Like these things cannot be so vague. They cannot be so high and lofty that they have no material good and they make no material difference to us day to day. Our hope needs to be that crystallized, that clear that we know the Father's heart, that whether it's towards a Samaritan village, whether it's to a sinner who's caught actively in sin, whatever it is, that we know what hope and love look like when they meet the reality of a fallen world. 
it's probably too early to go about quoting Christmas movies. Um, but Leah, I, I know she'll probably watch this one later to get ready for the rest of the Advent season. She falls asleep long before the scene in It's a Wonderful Life. She hates this movie. Um, but, but this is during the bank run. I don't know if y'all are very familiar with this movie. You all might fall asleep maybe before the scene in the movie. But there's a bank run in here, and, and, and they're asking for their money out of, the, out of the savings and loan. They're like, give us our, give us our money back. And, and this is what he says. This is Jimmy Stewart's character. You're thinking of this place all wrong, as if I had the money back in a safe. The money's not here. Your money's in Joe's house, right next to yours, and in the Kennedy house, and Mrs. Macklin's house, and a hundred others. It's specific, right? It's not just numbers on a spreadsheet somewhere. Where's my money? You help pay for their kitchen sink. You help pay for their roof. This is the beauty of a community caring for itself. Is it, It's not abstract. It's not forward. It's not unknowable. It's specific and it's personal, and it's for someone's good. This is what we see with this. Question to you is, can you articulate your hope? Church, can you yourself articulate your hope? Not just the gospel, generically, but I mean what you, Sue Jenkins, what you hope for. What you, Scott, what you hope for. And this doesn't have to feel so dramatic and so big and lofty that you want to give me the Sunday school answer. I mean, like, really, what, what gets you beyond that tweet? What gets you from day one to the next? What gives you hope that tomorrow is going to be a better day than what we have here and now? Because if you can't articulate that, I'm going to challenge you to realize that this message is for you. Because I don't think hope has yet gripped your heart. Maybe you're feeling lost. Maybe you're feeling purposeless. Maybe you're unsure of, of what's the meaning. Well, why do I even keep trying? If you lose hope, those questions ring louder than these answers. And we have to press in to be a people of hope. If you're in a, the fire, you might get this immediate relief of going anywhere but here. I don't know if it's towards the ultimate end. I don't know if it's to where I'm trying to go, but I just need to get out of the spot now. We start grabbing at small hopes. We start grabbing at, at worldly hopes. The idea being, I, I don't know, but I can't stay here. No matter what else, maybe this is short-term, maybe it's long-term, but I know that I can't stay here. But here, the psalmist hopes in God's word. You can put that back up. In your word, <coughs> um, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. His voice, when I finally hear it, will lead me step by step. He'll pull me not into more confusion, but towards his kingdom come. And so what do we do? Do we meet him halfway? We wait. This is Advent. We wait. And this is counterproductive. This doesn't feel like doing our best. This doesn't feel like giving it the, the worldly hustle ambition of, of being a person of hope where we get things done. Because it looks like waiting. And it requires patience. Attention. But it's not a, an, a, just like a, a loungy, leisurely waiting. We're not, we're not just kicking back on the bed and, and just trying to get time to pass us by. It's a season of preparation. Of understanding more and more that when his voice comes, will I be able to recognize it? Do I know what is better from what is worse? Can I discern? Can I recognize? So that when the, the call comes to go, I know the direction to go. 
What am I doing now to be prepared, to be ready to walk that road? Am I letting my muscles fatigue in a season of waiting? Or am I prepared? Do I have strength? Is my lamp filled with oil so I can light the way if it comes in the darkness? Or am I just going to be like, well, I don't know. It's been so long now, I, I don't even know what to do. But we wait. When I was lost there in the woods, we had to wait until morning. Psalmist says the same exact things. So I wait for the morning. As the watchmen wait for the morning, my whole being waiting for the morning. But more than just the morning, we wait for the Lord. This is verse 7. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. What's your ultimate hope? Our hopes change season to season. I don't think that's wrong. This isn't meant just to be like, oh, you're so non-Christian if you have these smaller hopes. We have small hopes. We have large hopes. We have personal hopes. We have corporate hopes. We have eternal hopes. But I want you to hear this. Our hopes in this world are often additive, right? Or they're deliverance-based. I want to add something to my life. You know, I want to be removed from this situation, deliver me from this situation. That's kind of the way that a lot of these things are. It's so short-term. It's so focused on those things that, that that's really it is. Consider instead a transformative hope to be like Jesus. I mean, that, that's, that's really kind of funny. It, it, it's, it's in its end almost the same thing. If I want to be delivered from my sins, maybe I'm actually desiring to be transformed to be like Jesus where that, that perfection, where that, that holiness is actually mine, right? So I'm no longer trapped by this. I'm over here, but it's not just deliver me. It's actually transform me. It's actually change me. And when I want to know this intimacy, when I want to do this, it's not saying add that in intimacy to my life. It's saying I want to be transformed that my relationship with the Father is like the Father's relationship to the Son. We want to be transformed in nature. We want to be transformed in love, in relationship. And the question is, do our smaller short-term hopes line up to take us in that direction? Is it like step one, step two, step three to bring us towards where the Father is calling us? There's worldly hopes, sure, that aren't based upon the nature of God's love. You go back to, it's a wonderful life. It's probably the only week I'll quote it, by the way. Every day in the soda shop, he would have that thing where he'd go up to there, he'd light that, that little fire to light the cigarettes. He'd cross his fingers and say, I wish I had a million dollars. And then he said, hot dog. I don't, I don't quite understand as soon as it lit up. But right, we, we have these worldly, smaller hopes. But I think they might betray something about us. Why, are you, why do you want a million dollars? What is it? That, are, are you afraid? Are you afraid of not having enough? Are you afraid of the future? Like now, now that's something that we can talk about, right? If you have a million bucks, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe the banks can help you with that. But if you have fear... That sounds like something God wants to talk to. It sounds like something he wants to heal. Right? These worldly, these smaller hopes often reveal something more, something deeper that's going on. We're going to move to ministry in, in just a minute. But I want to encourage you to do some homework. Hope without blank is just wishing. Your name here. I'm not going to give you an answer to this one. I think that this is something that you can fill in for yourself. This, this is a, a bit of a theological exercise, right? But what could this be? 
hope without God's power, without God's plans, hope without love? What is it that, that makes our eternal Godward hope look like the world? What, what is the difference that distinguishes us from just wishing for something? I don't want to be a church that, that just says, oh, I wish things were different. That we have something abstract and disconnected from us. But I want you to really consider hope without what is just wishing. And here's the thing. If you cannot articulate your hope, I mentioned this one earlier, I want to pray for you. All right? If you cannot put into words the, those things that compel you from day to day, that draw you towards something greater than what you could accomplish on your, your own, that if you logged 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week towards this thing, you know it's beyond your grasp. If you cannot articulate those things, don't take it as a, a shame or, or judgment. Take it as an invitation to explore how much more your heart can be awakened to the kingdom of God. How much more purpose and longing and beautiful life is ahead of you so that we don't live small, unexamined lives, that we don't just stumble from day to day just trying to get through. And that's one of the saddest things when you talk to people at work and they're like, how are you doing? Well, another day. Oh my goodness. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but the thing is, I've been there, right? I've been there where you're just like, I'm just trying to get through the week. And those are the times where I know that my hope is probably out of reach. And if we want to love like Jesus, if we want to be people of hope, let's examine this. Let's wait and see what it is that we're hoping for. Let our hearts be awakened by beauty. So this is not, a, this is not biblical, but I really do like Emily Dickinson for this one. She has a, a, a poem called Hope. And uh, it's a bit abstract. If, if, you're, you're, if you're not poetically minded, I apologize. This is going to sound really weird and, and, and whatever to you. Yeah, that's all right. I, I talk technical most of the other weeks. You, you can deal with me on, on, on this side. This is the first stanza of it. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. What is she talking about? <laughs> It's not literally a bird, right? But you get this idea of, of a, a song of the soul that cannot be stopped. It's, it's not even of you. It's like there's something in my soul. It's just crying out, and it's a beautiful song. And I feel like that's such it. When I'm a person of hope, whenever I've got that, yeah, there's something that's just been lit up in my soul. It, it's, it's lighted. It has some, some air behind it, and it's beautiful. And I love it whenever I can hear that song. But then she goes on. And sweetest in the gale is heard. And sore must be the storm. That could have bashed the little bird that kept so many warm. The song is sweetest in the darkest times. In the hard times. And hope is what keeps us warm. It's what keeps us moving. You can take it off so we're not too distracted by Emily. But I'm going to pray for us. And here's why I want. If I could have the worship team come back up. Let's do this. I'm going to pray for us. If we can sing the chorus of one song. And then wait. 
Y'all, it's going to get awkward. I hate, I hate this. As a pastor, I, 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 I clocked this one time because I, I care a lot about solitude and silence. We, we practice it most Sundays in the pre-service prayer. Y'all should come. Um, an idea of waiting for the Lord. I get awkward after about five seconds of silence. And that is not an exaggeration. I clock these things, right? Like to have just two minutes in a room of nobody saying anything. And y'all are going to be like, is this, is this it? Where are we going from here? I'm giving you warning. <laughs> so we're going to sing the chorus of one song. You got something in mind you can do for that? So we're going to do one chorus. And then we're going to wait. And wait. And we'll see what the Lord says. Because as I, I hope is clear, right? I don't want you to come forward and get counseling. I don't want you to come, uh, come forward and, and get our best efforts at loving you or our best efforts at explaining the gospel to you. I want your cries to the Father to be heard and answered by Him. I want Him to send His Holy Spirit that it's not a, a, an answer from a pastor or a, a well-meaning person, but that you actually know that the Creator of all things knows you, loves you, is calling you, has reasons for that today. And this is anathema to most of the ways that the world works. So it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come. So here, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get awkward. Come, Holy Spirit. We choose you. We choose your words over the ways of this world. Out of the depths we cry to you. Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lead my paths. Lead me towards your kingdom come. Would you be Lord of my life? It's Jesus.